Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name's Windy. I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Hello, Windy. And our tactics guy and not stupid cunt, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's your boy. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second in our series of All or Nothing Watch Along specials. If you haven't watched episode two of Amazon's All or Nothing series about Tottenham Hotspur, we suggest that you do so now as we're going to spoil all of that episode here. If you've no intention of watching it, then hopefully we can talk you through it successfully. If you have watched it, then hopefully this will be a useful piece of commentary to supplement the series. So we're going to get straight into this episode, which is called A New Start. The blurb says it's a new era for Spurs as Jose Mourinho, one of world football's most famous coaches, takes the reins, replacing Mauricio Pochettino just before an important London derby against West Ham United. While Jose sets out to win over hearts and minds at the club, the players have to prove themselves to secure a place in his squad. And what's interesting about this episode is that it takes place essentially over the course of a week. So we said episode one was roughly a six month time frame. This takes place between the West Ham match on the 23rd of November 2019 and the Bournemouth match on the 30th of November 2019. So we'll jump straight in on the scene-by-scene analysis. So it opens with a press conference testing 1-2-3 as uh, the press conference is being set up. Mourinho is being briefed ahead of that press conference by Spurs' head of comms, Simon Felstein. We don't know it's Simon Felstein because he's not formally introduced, which I actually found a bit odd. Why, Why would you not show who he is? He's kind of a key player at Spurs but um, he's quite recognisable due to a couple of press conferences that he's he's featured in, in the past um, and he points out that some Chelsea fans will feel betrayed and that Mourinho sort of needs to deal with that in the press conference and I found it amusing that although it's literally irrelevant to the conversation Mourinho feels compelled to say that the betrayal is because I won three leagues for them and they sacked me, which just strikes me as absolute classic Mourinho off the bat. What did you think of that, Bardi? Yeah, he, he likes to remind everybody about his um, his achievements. Um, I think it was good to get into this episode. The first episode was did kind of start slow, and then and then, like you said, this is a week, so we know there's got, there's three matches coming, and you do get that sense immediately from the start that it's going to be um, hopefully full of some good content. Mm. So it leads to Mourinho in the press conference uh, being asked why he's joined Spurs after promising the Chelsea faithful that he would never do such a thing. And he's asked what has changed. And he says, I was sacked and smirks. So clearly the the chat with Felstein was, he was kind of using it as a warm up. He was, um, he was getting his um, ammo ready for the press conference ahead. We then come to pre-match and it's pre-West Ham. Uh, and Mourinho is once again using this sort of confidence mantra. You are confident. You finish confident. He's telling them, he's using the word confident constantly and how nothing in the match can change their level of confidence. Uh, which, I mean, it's a, it's a tactic, I guess. It's a psychological tactic. Nathan, did you have anything specific to say about that? Um, I don't know. This kind of stuff that seems like it should be stupid, it, it does work. 
like people uh people talk about like their experience in therapy and the and the way that like um they find it really frustrating and embarrassing that like their therapist saying every day look in the mirror at yourself and say you're a smart beautiful person and the, and it works <laughs> and and we all feel incredibly childish about it but i don't know man apparently apparently it works repetition works i mean confidence is something that does get spoken about a lot mm. we we seem to let Sessignon off the hook quite a lot for some kind of average to bad performances because we talk about he he lacks that confidence and self-belief so i, I can understand why Mourinho, when he takes a team that hasn't won away from home in 10 months and he does just kind of smack into the be confident and like believe in yourselves because we know we watch Spurs enough to know that these mm. players aren't aren't rubbish and they should be doing better than than they're performing. Yeah, absolutely. And what we have to bear in mind is that there's lots of content I'm sure that's on the cutting room floor here. There's other stuff he will have said pre-match, hopefully, that has not made it into the show but is perhaps more interesting or I don't know, more niche. It's not just him repeating, you are confident, you are confident, nothing's going to change your confidence. <laughs> I fucking hope so, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so then it kind of shows the game footage and Mourinho is doing knee slides as he celebrates the goals, which is really amusing and entertaining. Uh, he's pointing at Delhi, saying, you're the man. Uh, Delhi. this is your goal, your goal, because he did that um, that kind of weird flick when he was on the ground leading to, I think, I can't remember if it was the second or third goal, uh, but essentially it was fantastic by Delhi and Mourinho kind of really wanted to point that out to him. I mean, I, I think as we move through this episode, you find that I think Mourinho really has taken Delhi on as a project. And For sure. I think that's one of his like I don't know, KPIs that he, when eventually when he does leave, he's going to point back to look at, look at, Delhi, look where Delhi was and look at now where he is and what I've done to him. So definitely, I think it's a little mini project of um, of Mourinho. So I guess that is all about giving Delhi confidence and just, you know, a little pat on the back for doing something good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Mourinho's in the dressing room at halftime and he's telling them, this shit is not over. 2-0 <laughs> is not the result. And he's saying, essentially, it's... This is English football, you know, things can change quickly. You have to be switched on. Every set piece against us is a moment of fear, he says. And he asks them to communicate and concentrate in order to nullify um, set pieces against us. He says we're playing to kill the game, to play and score more goals. Nathan, do you believe in that? Yeah, no, I, like definitely. Um, I, I, whereas I find a lot of the focus on that aspect kind of corny and, and silly, I do definitely, definitely accept that like you, you've got to focus in and, and, and re-establish the, the need to keep up the consistency at 2-0. But I will say that the reason that every set piece against us is a moment hmm. of fear is because we are under-trained defensively at set pieces because we f- use a man, uh, man-to-man focused um, set-up defensively. Uh, we don't have a set piece specialist coach. Um, anyway, I guess that's <laughs> somewhat beside the point. So post match, obviously we've won. Lucas and Delia dancing. I kind of wanted to see more of their dancing, but it's a surprisingly brief segment, and then it's straight back um, to the training centre where Serge Aurier is knocking over a drink onto some trainers. He's he's knocking over some kind of shake. Um, and making a mess, and it's said that they are Jose Mourinho's trainers, whether they are or not, who knows, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's an amusing moment nonetheless. Barty? They seem to have like a little recovery milkshake machine there <laughs> that they can just go in and fill their own cups from. Um, I think it's a nice little a nice little look at Aurier. 
and I did kind of, I did kind of like how he cleaned the shoes, but I'm, I'm still furious at him leaving that big puddle of shake on the floor. I mean, he didn't even put a couple of tissues down to like attempt to clean it or like call a cleaner to say sorry. He cleaned the shoes because they're the managers and then just wandered out. That's not like Sergio. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's just someone needs to teach. Yeah, someone needs to teach him some manners. Normally, you'd have Musa Sissoko there to clean up his mess. <laughs> um This is obviously where the the narrative focuses in on Sergio and you kind of realise, oh, this is going to be a Sergio episode. Um, and you've got this really sweet moment where like Delhi's teaching Serge about manners, which I I found quite adorable. Um, and and it just shows like Delhi is a very playful character, very fun, very switched on, and Oreo is having a good laugh with him. You see Mourinho then being once again very hands on in training. He obviously really relishes being on the training pitch. That's uh, something that has surprised me a little, I would say, about his style. But um, I don't know why I should be surprised. He's absolutely obsessed with football. Um, we then see his tour of Lily White House. So as he's going in. He's asked if he's happy to have selfies. So you get the impression that this is going to be quite a big deal to the staff work there. And of course, you know, when you work for a a company like Tottenham Hotspur, then the appointment of a new manager is a big deal. It's like he's a celebrity coming in, essentially, and they they all work with him. Um, He tells the finance team that he loves them, which is really funny. He uh, when he's introduced to the HR team, he says, oh, dangerous. And then he's introduced to the IT team. There's like an awkward pause while he's thinking of something to say. (laughs) And eventually he says, without IT, nothing works, which is um, fine, I guess. And then there's lots of photos. Um, I thought he came across as very charming and personable in this interaction because they're all lapping up the fact that Jose Mourinho is there. Barney, what did you make of it? I, th- I want to start with the bridge. I'd never noticed that little bridge from the stadium to Hotspur House. Like, what, like what, I don't even understand. Is it necessary? <laughs> just go outside, no? But it's, it seems weird. I mean, I'd love to go in that bridge just to have a little look around. And it is a bit weird. Like, you're taking... I can understand why um, it would be weird for Mourinho. Just kind of paraded around and just people gawking at him. And and it's always weird when any anyone's CEO, he's not the CEO, but when the boss kind of moves around the office. But I thought he handled it quite well, and yeah. it was quite sweet. It was quite sweet. Yeah, he did. He did handle it really well. And I imagine all those people went away saying, "Oh, what a nice man, Jose Mourinho is." And they mm. they probably had a great day as a result of meeting him. So that was a really that was a nice that was a nice section. I thought. Um, and then we have him seeing the stadium. We don't know if it's for the first time or not, but he says some nice things about the club. He says, when I arrive, I belong. The connection with the fan base, I was immediately in love. I mean, as fans, we'd like to hear these things, even if they're, even if they're platitudes. It's, it's just mm. nice to hear your manager say how much of a connection you feel. Uh, and then we see Daniel Levy talking about the connection with, between the club and its community. Uh, he uses the term regenerates about the local area. He says, we want to be a club that is known as a caring club. Certainly from a f- personal viewpoint, I care about making a difference. Nathan, do you do you believe what Daniel Levy's saying there? Uh, I kind of definitely think it's plausible that he believes that. Um, but I think, like, in the, throughout this series, you see quite a few shots of the stadium. And one of the things I noticed watching this series is like the contrast between the stadium and the quality of the housing around the stadium mm. and the way that the stadium, as like incredible as it is, there's also this sort of like 
um, dystopia, like sci-fi vibe, where it's like he is the overarching the company <laughs> that's like ruling over yeah. you know the borderline slum area, and like yes, the club have done quite a few for what I think of as like moderately token esque gestures towards the community. I certainly think there's a hell of a lot more that the club could be could be doing for the area. Um, but I guess the bar is sort of on the floor in those regards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I agree that um, Levy certainly seemed to have good intentions. And as much as I think Levy, I don't know. So I agree with what you said in, in our first episode, Nathan, that Levy's more personable than the many than you would necessarily assume from not knowing an awful lot about him and the fact that he always wants to take a back seat on things. I'm not fully convinced that he's like um able to emotionally engage with people. He he seems quite sort of cold as a character and I sometimes feel though as though he's saying words and he's saying them because he feels he has to say them but doesn't necessarily believe in them and i don't know i'm making a hell of a lot of assumptions there <sighs> never met no man. i see it though i see it I, I i get what you're saying yeah but it's, I mean, he the, certainly said the right things that's the main thing the the club is pulling in twice as many people into the area right. on a, on a weekly basis admittedly i think uh levy would probably prefer all sixty-one thousand people to go straight into the stadium and and drink and eat there but there's still there is still money trickling into the area and mm-hmm. even over the last five six years even walking up the high road th- things are things are changing it there is new housing whether it, that's a good thing or a bad thing whether it's um, gentrification i don't know but there is the area has um, there's been a marked improvement in the area and it, it's always that question is what does it mean by improving it so um it, it, yeah, it's a, it's a complicated question. It is complicated. I really felt that they missed a trick here, the, the makers of this documentary, by not then interviewing some residents and talking mm. about the impact that the, the stadium development had on the community. I think that would have been really interesting. I don't know whether they explored that as a possibility or not. Uh, they didn't reference the riots and everything else that happened, which was a big turning point in Tottenham. Yeah, they did kind of skirt around that. But as we've seen in a lot of this episode, they did... Need they need to push through the the timeline? They can't they can't dwell too much. We spent one episode just cover, we spent one episode. We didn't really get much from it, and this one we've got three games to cover. So I can understand why they skipped it. But it would like I would like to have seen talk to some residents or some locals about the changes. So so I agree. I do agree with you that they're they're kind of um, they're pushed for time. But yet the next section is Serge Aurier visiting a local school. Which don't get me wrong. I mean there's bits we can say about this uh, i thought it was a, a wholesome decent section but it did feel very staged and very sort of um pr it felt like a, a, a pr response to some stuff but what did you make I mean, of that i don't know I, I kind of disagree with you there i think with everything that's happened in at the recent moments of surge i think this is maybe something they've gone back and re-edited in with um, with Oreo's brother dying and everything else where they where they speak to Serge and you find it out a little bit about him. And as we've often said, for, for better or worse, he did become a key component of how Mourinho likes to attack. And I think in this episode we saw our kind of reliance on him as an attacking outlet. So I think it did make sense to to hang out with him a little bit and find out a little bit about Serge Aurea rather than Serge Aurea, the idiot and social media that we're all familiar with. So you, it was interesting. So he he's in he's on his way to this school, and he talks about 
um, his background in what he describes as quite difficult suburbs. Friends of his went to prison and he kind of seems to be suggesting that he might have gone the same way were it not for football and that he was lucky. He kind of got rescued by the sport. Um, he's really, really sweet with the children at the school. He's an absolute natural at conversing with them. He takes pictures, he shakes hands, he tells the boys to work hard and then he's having like little bits of banter and... He just seems to have a good connection. I mean, he he's a bit like a big kid at heart, Sir Jorier, isn't he? He's a very playful character, and he just seems to really relish this opportunity to speak to the children. Nathan, what did you make of this um, segment? Yeah, um, I, 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 it definitely is super, super stage and super, super PR heavy. Um, I do, I do, I definitely think like the the clip of him cleaning the shoes, laughing is is kind of sweet, and I, I get what you're saying about um, the sort of the 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 child kind of character that he is in 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 the sweetest possible interpretation yeah. there. Um, but I also think that he's you know has done some pretty yeah terrible things, <laughs> and that this is is sort of the plastic covering over the top of it. So I don't know, man. I mean, I thought they could have addressed that to be honest. Some of the controversy when he when he joined and he could have spoken about his growth as a person maybe, but they, they chose not to do that. I, I guess they don't want to promote the, uh, the, the, the things that he said before he joined Spurs maybe. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it moves on fairly quickly then to pre Olympiacos with Mourinho telling the players to press, to be aggressive. Uh, there's a section where he says to sign better, to sign players better than Lucas, Kane and Son and Lucas, Kane, Son and Ali is very hard. Um, given the discussions we've had previously about Lucas Mora on this podcast, my first thought to this was Jesus, he really considers Lucas to be on the same level as Kane and Son and Dele. Um, did you have the same reaction, buddy? Uh, not quite as, as bad as you. I don't quite, I don't hate Lucas as much as you do, but, um, yeah, I mean, but it is kind of, well, no, it's not really kind of true. You can buy loads of players better than Lucas. But, uh, <laughs> I, I see what he's saying. I do see what he's saying. As a, I mean, as a, as a front four, mm. that's not a bad front four. So it is kind of hard to upgrade that as a, as a collective. And Lucas does things that Mourinho, that Mourinho likes. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he definitely does things that Mourinho likes, that's for sure. <laughs> um, he then talks about Davis being out, but as a result of Davis being out, he's going to use Dyer. Uh, to sit in midfield because Sissoko likes to attack. Shrug. Um, and he thinks Dyer is a very good player. He, I mean, he makes that clear. He's saying, I think he was saying to Sacramento that he thinks Dyer is a very good player. He kind of asks Sacramento, do you feel the same? And this is the start of the section which becomes the Eric Dyer portion of um, of episode two. So quite an interesting part, I thought, about Dyer growing up in Portugal, his link with Mourinho, uh, the fact that Dyer had previously caught Mourinho's eyes when he played for Sporting, um, he feels he has his be- Dyer feels that he has Mourinho's belief in him. Mourinho calls Dyer in to discuss why he's not been playing previously under Pochettino, and they speak in Portuguese, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise because Mourinho is a native Portuguese speaker, and Dyer spent much of his youth in Portugal. Uh, Dyer talks about his injuries how Pochettino liked long periods of recovery for players, not just him, but for all players. And the implication was that it's been difficult for players to get back into the team under Pochettino. Uh, Dyer says that he went to see him and that he said that he'd need to leave if he's not part of the plan. And Mourinho tells him that he likes him as a player 
And then he makes this kind of slightly cryptic comment about Dyer being sad that Pochettino has left. Did you understand, Nathan, what he was getting at there? I think he said it's good that he's sad. Yeah, no, he's saying like it, it's okay to be upset that you, you've you've lost your previous coach who you had a connection with. But what he's trying to do, and I think maybe especially in front of the cameras, is say, "Good news, I like you better than Pochettino likes you," and he's he's putting that in the gentlest way he possibly can. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't. Know, I find Dyer a really really interesting character. Um, I, I thought this was an interesting section. I like hearing more about him. He's um, I kind I, I find this sort of like um, the like the the aspect of him in that he's like he's a foreigner but people forget that he's technically a foreigner and that kind of thing i find that stuff really interesting with him and yeah i just find him an interesting character he is interesting he's also really clever uh, i think yeah he stands out as being really intelligent and thoughtful um yeah i'm, I'm intrigued to see more of eric Dyer as his progresses in terms of like getting into the team was interesting because like my memory is that he was like he played several matches under Pochettino uh, this season gone, but he looked really unfit and slow and off the pace. And if anything, he needed more recovery time to build up match fitness. So yeah. that, that aspect was kind of uh, strange, I guess. Yeah, I really liked I really liked this section. I really liked finding out a bit more about Dyer. And I thought his reaction towards Pochettino, when he's like, Pochettino wouldn't really get back to him, didn't really give him any clear answers... Um, I think that maybe perhaps showed there was something that was breaking there, but it, it was it was you know it was it was refreshing to see um, a, a player who's technically English sitting there and conversing in a, in a foreign language, where you know English players have that advantage that pretty much wherever they go, English yeah. is a spoken language. So I, I did quite enjoy that, and I thought it shows a different side to Dyer. And I did quite like the the references about Mourinho wanting to buy him because there was that time when he was valued at fifty million and. We turned down that transfer, which, which perhaps in hindsight we should have probably sold. Um, yeah, and I, I've, I quite liked how we've gone from Serge to Dyer and then later on we go to Delhi. I, I did like finding out a little bit about them. And this is kind of what I what I tune in for because we, we, we read and watch Tottenham so much, but these are the bits that we don't get to see. Yeah, I agree. And I think they do have to zoom in on individual players and that makes complete sense. It's just that sometimes it does feel like they're retroactively editorializing and um, and creating a narrative that ne- doesn't necessarily exist uh, but we'll perhaps well, come to that that is also because the narrative happens on the pitch so they go into the olympiakos game that will go into what happens and then they kind of like ah we need some footage pre-game to kind of make it work the narrative is Dyer and um, Aurier in, in the olympiakos game we need something to build around that so they go back and get something which might not Sure, actually fit properly. Sure, exactly, and you know, as we've said before, they've, they've got limited time, and um, they have to deliver something. So we, we see um, Mourinho putting lip salve on, which was um, interesting. Um, <laughs> his team talk is essentially him telling them that they have to win to improve to build momentum. He then um, tells Serge Aurier that he's going to be a marker and that he's very afraid of that because he's capable of giving a shit penalty away with VAR. And Serge Aurier does not look very impressed by this. Um, he tells them to start fast and strong. And then we have the pre-match huddle with Kane once again dropping lots of F-bombs at them. Um, and Nathan, I think you're all for that. Yeah, I, I really like... I, my favourite part probably so far has been 
Kane's pre-match and half-time g-ups they just really they really clicked with me you you you've spoken in the previous episode about how like you you find him like an inappropriate swearer because he's this sort of family friendly uh, pre-watershed kind of clean character but for me that really works because it's like it's it's when the quiet nice person swears it is like let's let's fucking go lads you're like oh wow okay it's coming from them and it it kind of hits harder i i get g'd up every time i hear kane do a do a pre-match talk and i and like uh there's there's been quite a few uh player mentions and a couple of articles written about what kane said half time at the ajax game mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's nice to get sort of a bit of an idea of what that might have looked like based on these clips i'm i'm really enjoying harry kane <laughs> i i think i mean i agree i i think there's definitely some value in um the quiet guy kind of losing his shit a bit the, the thing is if it's repeated it kind of loses its meaning after sure. a while um, and also, I, I see Kane very much uh, like Mourinho described him in the first episode, the silent leader, the one who leads by example. And it's not really his strong point to be giving these um, these great speeches before, before kick, which I guess is why he keeps it to a few F-bombs. <laughs> he just gets the job done. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. It's, it's, it's fine. And they, they all seem pretty bought into it regardless. So it probably doesn't matter a great deal. Uh, what was then funny was that the subtitles I watched with subtitles on I don't know why because they're really poorly written but mm. um, pre-Olympiakos or during the Olympiakos game it's it, Spurs fans were singing when the Spurs go marching in and the subtitles said if the Spurs go marching in uh, so I felt that we were being trolled in the subtitles um, Olympiakos go one up at White Hart Lane then two up and Eric Dyer is subbed 29 minutes in for Christian Eriksen, uh, which, I mean, I, I remember this really well. Um, in fact, the bit that I remember isn't actually included in this, which is that Mourinho was very apologetic to Dyer after the game. And that's not really that's not really mentioned in the documentary. Um, Delhi scores after a, a sort of misclearance at the front post from Olympiakos defender. And then we see Dyer looking utterly dejected in the dressing room. Delhi going in absolutely furious, smashing his boots against the floor. And Mourinho tells them at halftime, first of all, calm. And he tells them they're panicking. He said it's impossible to play as badly as that in the second half. What did you think of that, Bardi? I mean, it, it does go to show that Mourinho has got other C words in his in his locker other than confidence and cunts by telling, <laughs> them, to, by telling them to stay calm, which which is the truth. I, I was at the game and we were, we'd made... One mistake and they'd smacked one in. El Arabi, I don't think he'd ever hit a ball like that in his life. And um, it was just a question of remaining calm and we, we were a better team and we were going to get through it. The the dire thing, you know, it's, it's terrible when a footballer gets subbed that early. And especially when you, you when in the build-up to this game when you've seen how much that Mourinho likes Dyer and the decision he had to do. But ultimately, Mourinho's judged on his results and it, it, was, it, turned, out to be, it turned out to be a good decision. Sure. Um, Mourinho has drawn up a 3-2-4-1 on the tactics board with Ericsson, an arrow dotted out from Ericsson, drifting out to the right to cover Aurier. And this is no real surprise because it's a formation we've become very accustomed to um, over Mourinho's tenure. Um, If anything, it was just interesting to see it sort of drawn out in that that particular way. Um, Mourinho says, Serge goes forward and wide attack the ball, press the man, bring the lines up. And then Sacramento adds that when Aurier has the ball, Son is to get into the box. 
And Aurea says when he has the ball, nobody's there. He says something like, I can carry the ball 40 metres and there's no one there. Um, Mourinho finally once again talks about confidence and this time he mentions the, t- the word self-esteem. The camera stays with Dyer. He's putting a hoodie on while the team goes back out. He looks, he looks very dejected and sad. Um, to me, the section felt sort of hugely, um, I don't know, reverse engineered. Um, is, the, is the phrase that came to mind so we were playing that style with Aurier high up anyway and there wasn't this sort of half-time masterstroke it's just that's the way we played that's the way we set out the game what did you think Bardi? I don't think we I don't think we were because Rose started at left back so I think we were playing a bit more of a traditional back four in this match it wasn't it wasn't Davies doing his tucking in and sitting and it wasn't Vertonghen who we who we later turned to so it was Rose it was more of a, a classic back four so I think there was that I think he I think it's right and it's not quite the reverse engineering it was it, it did turn Rose into more of a central defender than a left back Okay, okay. I mean, yeah, perhaps I'm remembering that game wrong because since then, obviously, we've seen lots of that formation. Mm. Um, obviously, it turns out that Aurier does have a, a pivotal role in the um, outcome of the match. Um, I had forgotten the ball boys impact. Hmm. Did you remember that, Nathan? Was that was that sort of it, a, a? I couldn't a, remember which game it was. I remember that the whole ball boy thing, um, and that Mourinho's comment that the ball boy was was massive for us or whatever it was. It was really <laughs> it was really sweet. Obviously, what followed with the the little ball boy sort of narrative section that was fun. Um, I yeah, I, I'm now I'm curious as to how we shaped up in the first half, but I I, I agree that there's definitely some like overplaying of the the as if he's sort of imagined that up on the spot. Um, definitely looks like the instruction for the far side winger who was sung to get, join the attackers in the box was an interesting change at half time. Uh, and they talked about Ericsson covering behind Doria, moving wide to allow him and that kind of thing. That was all uh, n- nice to see that kind of stuff. That's uh, Obviously, that sort of stuff is like it's quite surface level, mm-hmm. um, but it's just interesting to see and how that's relayed. I The best bit so far for Aurea for me is when he sort of talks back and says, okay, you're giving me this instruction, but uh, here's my mm. issue with that. And then there's a back and forth. That was really good to see. Yeah. Um, and really interesting and, and a positive for Aurea for me. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, what we see after the match in, in the following days is that the ball boy is invited to a meal with the first team where Harry Kane says, I'll introduce you to everyone. And he goes around shaking hands and Delhi says to him, it was a good assist. And it's actually a really genuinely nice, wholesome scene where all the players are just very, very friendly and uh, welcoming to this to this kid who's just having the time of his life. What did you make of that, Bardi? I mean, Mourinho spent most of his life being criticised, being called the translator, because that's kind of what his role originally started out at, at Barcelona. There, I think Xavi and the rest of them would, would call him that, the translator. So it was, it was funny when Mourinho started talking about his football experience, and he said he was the best ball boy around. <laughs> that he was able to, he was able to judge how a team attacked and when to be fast and when to be slow. So it's nice that Mourinho sees himself in that ball boy, and, and it, it does give um, another human touch to Mourinho who who has become a football manager despite never being able to properly kick a football <laughs> we then have the section of of Delhi talking about uh, his technique of putting toothpaste on a toothbrush which I think is going to be the first of a couple of um sort of throwaway Delhi segments judging by the clips I've seen of the show um he is quite um an interesting character Delhi he's very playful very fun uh very chatty with all the staff uh, he seems to be really kind of ingrained in in the club, uh, and it's it's very amusing. He then talks 
about social media and the impact it has that you know there's lots of people who say bad things about you when you play badly lots of people that say good things about you when you play well and essentially he's saying it's important not to get caught up in what people are saying which I thought was a very sort of mature um, stance to take and a mature way to conclude on that it then shows Mourinho giving Delhi's instructions on pressing triggers perhaps he calls Delhi into his office he tells him that he's a nice kid that he doesn't want to be his father, he wants to be a coach with a good connection. And he says, for me, since the beginning, I had no doubts about your potential, but I always felt that you had ups and downs. And he's basically asking him to become more consistent and consider why he's had the career path that he has. He says, you should demand more from you, not me demanding more from you, you should demand more from you. And uh, he ends with, thank you, mate, (laughs) which seems slightly out of place. But one thing I picked up on that is that Delhi's body language in that conversation was quite defensive. He sort of has folded arms, um, which is said to be a, a barrier between yourself and the person talking to you. And he kind of had his head to one side as if to say, I don't really trust you. I don't really trust your motives and what you're saying. And uh, my takeaway from that is that I think Delhi is a very astute young man. Um, Nathan, what was your takeaway? <laughs> no, you're reading too much, way too much into body language and timing and everything there, I think. Uh, I, I I don't mind, I don't, I, you know, the you should demand more from you isn't, isn't bad. I, I think that there are lots of reasons, tactical reasons, technical reasons, fitness reasons for the ups and downs in his career. Yeah. And also... Uh, and also within games is is that maybe not so much uh, in over the last couple of years, but early on his whole thing was to be a crap useless player yeah. for eighty nine minutes and then score a goal that wins the game kind of thing. And there's positives within that is that you know the 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 Mourinho sort of you remain you are confident you you decide to be confident thing that sort of ties in with that and that you can be having a bad game mm. and still and still win it and that mm. kind of thing um so I don't know but uh it's obviously still a conversation that it's worth him having with, with Delhi I mean I think this part of the this part of the show is quite interesting because you've got two characters here in in Delhi and Dyer who um when they when they were first at Spurs together, were very often shown as being like the best friends. They were always messing around together and always together. They would be part of every kind of social media video. But then, mm. for some reason, we haven't seen that kind of that connection between the, those two. And maybe something's happened. Maybe they've grown different ways. Dyer's focusing more. Who knows? You can read it any way you want to read into it. But what is interesting is they were the kind of poster boys of uh, Pochettino's reign. They were the, this this centre back, right back who turned into a great midfielder and this incredible kind of strange number ten who would just score a lot of goals. But they both of them have become like the fallen heroes of Tottenham. And if they're like um, if Pochettino was the general, these are the two like lieutenants who have just been decimated on on the war field. So they're all two, both two players who are struggling to kind of live up and justify the hype and the price tags that they kind of once both had on them. And I think it's interesting when they talk about Delhi and how he used to play and the fire and the bite in him. It has seemed, it has kind of gone away. He's he's not a player who really gets in trouble on the pitch anymore. And perhaps Mourinho is just trying to spark that back into him. So I, I find Delhi just as interesting as Dyer. And I, I, I do hope that we, Delhi becomes something more than this kind of joker individual who's just allowing time to pass him by. Yeah, absolutely. And I really hope we see more of, of both of them as the series unfolds. I think they they are intriguing characters, each in their own way. Dyer's obviously very thoughtful and spends a lot of time with 
the likes of Vertonghen and Alderweireld, and you know we know now that he spends a lot of time with Lo Celso and Lamella, and he kind of enjoys travel and languages and culture. And Delhi seems a bit more of a kind of um, I don't know how to describe it, a bit more homely perhaps, and a bit more sort of insular maybe. He's quite a playful character. He seems quite sort of youthful still. Perhaps they're just at different stages in their in their development as as people, and hopefully we'll see Delhi get there. Um, we do see this quite reflective section from Delhi, though. I mean, he does. He's he's very smart, Delhi. He he does. He's the the ability to reflect on something you've done or the way you are is quite a sort of high level ability to, to be able to critically examine your own behavior is is quite an impressive thing and he and he does that and he talks about what he can improve and i do think he's quite switched on i just don't know if he can then put that into place so that's the bit that I, I wonder if there's some drive missing there which um Mourinho certainly hinted at by telling him that he's uh fucking lazy mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, nathan we're gonna say something there mate just like it's it's interesting to be reminded of how uh, focal and crucial Delhi was mm. during this part of the season because he was essentially not involved in post-lockdown Spurs at all, mm-hmm. uh, which makes you wonder: okay, what are the what are the events? How how has that come to be? Mm. And all of that kind of stuff. But again, now back to modern day Spurs. It's pre-season and he's 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 looking good again. So that's interesting. Uh, yeah, you're right. He's obviously a very very smart lad. Um, um, incredibly skilled and everything else as well, and but like m- prob- maybe more than anyone else in the entire <laughs> show, except that it's not a show; it's it's reality. <laughs> maybe more than anyone else at Spurs, he has this ability to read people and be mm. charismatic and understand psychological behaviour. That's why I, I really get from him is that on a on a on a level of um, yeah psychology, he's the smartest man in in the in the building. He's also he's interested in people as well. Yeah, like even just the sort of throwaway toothpaste stuff. He's he's not saying that with a smile on his face. He's listening intently. He's really intrigued mm. by what different people, how different people behave. He's um, I I really warm to Delhi. I find him fascinating. I, I find him. I want I want to watch him. I want to see more of how he behaves, and I'm I'm intrigued to see if we will see more of him. I hope I hope we do. So Delhi is like one of these kids that can just see something. And then just immediately kind of pick it up and recreate it. And I think a lot of that has been lost from Delhi over the last year or so, where he's just become this guy who's who's meant to be repeating and holding the position. And I think if Mourinho, like we've seen in this in the West Ham game, and we, as we see in the Bournemouth match, if he can get him just to be back to his kind of quirky and spont- spontaneous best, then we've got one of the most um, interested and intriguing footballers in, in in the country in that position. It's funny we talk about his sort of interpretation of people's behaviour and interest in people like this now, and it's making me remember everything we said about him as a footballer when he joined. His interpretation of space, his ability to predict mm. what's going to happen next on the pitch, and it there is definitely something there. We've just got to Mourinho has to work out how to tap into that, and you can see that he's trying. He's definitely trying. Yeah. He's really making every effort with Delhi to work out what it is that motivates him. And when I said that Delhi is sceptical in his body language, I, I think that's because Delhi knows that Mourinho is trying. I didn't mean to sort of be quite so dismissive of Mourinho's techniques. I know it came across that way because I've said previously I don't like Mourinho. But I, I do think he's he's doing the right thing in trying to tap into Delhi's motivations. And Delhi equally recognises, I think, that Mourinho is trying too hard and it doesn't feel natural. That's that's kind of what I was getting at there. OK, no, OK, I, I, I can see that. I'm I'm more open to that. 
Uh, we have this section with Mourinho talking to Daniel Levy about his team selection, which I find really interesting. They seem to have these sort of breakfast discussions. And I don't know if that's just at the start of Mourinho's Spurs tenure and perhaps that'll drop off as time goes on. Um, but Levy's certainly checking in with him and really, really interested and engaged in what's going on on the pitch. And he's Mourinho's talking about starting Dyer for the feeling of family because he stabbed him with a big knife. And that's the first <laughs> um, reference to what he did in, in that he took Dyer off after half an hour of, of, the, of that match. We saw in the press conference, not in the show, but outside of the show, we saw in the press conference that Mourinho said he has to apologise to Dyer, etc., etc., in the show, this is the only reference to um, what he did, really. Um, this one's presented as a chance to uh, win over some of the Spurs faithful, and there's shots inside the stadium, and then Mourinho praying pre-match, which I didn't expect at all. Um, no, that was bizarre. It, that was really bizarre. I didn't, I didn't came out expect of nowhere. him to be so religious. Yeah, yeah. I, he's never he's never like referenced God or anything else like that. It was very strange for well, not strange, but it was just it was a bit of a surprise to mm. see that. Mm. Um, one of the coaches shouts, the game is about glory together, which it seems like a misinterpretation of some of Spurs' sort of slogans, but maybe that's their own <laughs> the unique spin that they're putting on, on the game is about glory thing. Don't know. Um, and then Kane pre-match talks about, you know, no dropped points. Ability wise, we're better. If we work harder, we win this game. So there's a, a few less F words this time and a few more words of encouragement about how they go about winning the game. Um, Delhi scores a goal, and you know the the narrative is, is sealed with that. Um, Mourinho is seen to be making notes of his team talk on a pad before delivering it. Um, so he's obviously keen to write down his key ideas. He identifies three defensive problems, and in the show they're presented as being the wings. So the the way we're being attacked on the wings, the lack of intensity and our inability to win second balls. Whether that was the, whether they were the three areas they identified in reality, I don't know, but that's the way it kind of comes across in, in the show. Um, but I found that quite interesting. Delhi then bags a second, and then is heavily Im- involved in the build-up to Sissoko's goal, um, and Mourinho comes out at the end of the match, and he says in the, in the dressing room, Chelsea lost six points. Basically, this, this was a six-pointer, um, and it's a really big deal that we've kind of got these points and that Chelsea have um, have lost. Nathan? I remember, because, um, like, okay, obviously Mourinho is a very results-focused individual, but, like, definitely the, the show is super, super results-focused. Mm. I, I remember that the Bournemouth game, and I, I, I was at least somewhat quite alone in this, but I was at the Bournemouth game and I was pretty disappointed with our approach and the way we played. And um, I did get a lot of pushback on that, but it, it's it's very, and this is something that's consistent um, throughout the, what I've seen now, three episodes, is that it's like, if we win, everything is brilliant and wonderful and, and genius. And if we lose, everything was terrible and, and wrong, or if we draw or whatever. And I just think mm. that like that's a little, maybe it's just for me, uh, but it's a little sort of dissonant with with reality in in those moments and and here. I mean, just to push back a little on that, this is so early on in his tenure, and I, I think the 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 point that I can make to to best bring that home is that it actually says in the show that at this point he's only been there a week. It's just mm. insane to me that so much has developed in this time. Mm. He's had all these conversations with these different players, and he's only actually been in charge a week. So difficult for him to sort of um, 
to do anything in a week's what what can you do in a week on a training pitch when you've got a game in midweek as well so i mean in in that context maybe he does deserve enormous credit for sort of sticking Aurier really high up the pitch in the in the midweek game um and maybe he's he's fully he fully merits all the um sort of narrative around him being a tactical genius for 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 making that change at half time potentially yeah, and I just think he's just trying to gather as much momentum as he can. So he's using anything to kind of g the team up and get them get them being positive and just trying to point to everybody. Look, uh, that was a six pointer. We're moving in the right place. So everything is okay. Getting everybody on board, nice and quick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, we then have uh, we're getting towards the end of the episode now. We have the Sky Sports interview where he's asked um, what he's done to get Delhi back to his best, and Mourinho says that he's put him in a position he feels comfortable in. He's then asked about the ten goals scored, and he simply replies six conceded. So mm-hmm. clearly, defence is um, a high priority for him at this point. We then see the press conference in which Matt Law says that Delhi's come to life again, and Mourinho says that he couldn't ask for anything more from him and the final words of of the show are um a report saying interesting game next you go back to old trafford and his reply is yeah but that's only wednesday and it's still saturday um i I thought maybe what he's saying there is there's still time for us to prepare for that we don't quite want to move on to that one mentally yet is that what you took from that nathan I don't know, it's man. A slightly odd he's quote. A, he's, yeah, there's so much just platitudinal nonsense mm. in this show, but especially from Mourinho. Definitely, but that, that was the end quote. Like the, the the quote to end on feels like it should be quite well selected and well chosen, but I couldn't quite determine a meaning from that. I guess it sort of ties in with what you were saying about how much happens in a week. Is that like yeah, but like um, Wednesday is like essentially months away yeah. so much so much would change between now and then you know mm. Mm. i took from it that he just won a match let's kind of focus on that and then manchester united is is on wednesday so we'll think about that a little bit closer to the mm. closer to the time yeah. I mean, and of course it does build it up to a big cliffhanger of a what what i guess the the producers were hoping for something huge from that match but they'd like tune in next into the next episode to see what happens <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, didn't quite work out that way. Um, so so to finish off with this episode, let's talk about what we learnt, if anything. So, um, Nathan, what did you learn uh, in this episode? I guess I sort of was... I got a bit more of a grasp on, on Delhi. I, I knew... We we knew that he was a smart guy. Um, but you you saw more of that um, and, and, a, and a bit of a magnifying glass on his sort of... His, his, um, his personal skills. How about you, Bardi? Um, I think we learned a lot from Dyer. You've got a, a guy here who is essentially a centre-back who became a centre-midfielder who be- who looks like he's becoming a centre-back now. A, a player who um, maybe he's lost his identity, lost his way, and he's trying to find his way back to playing first-team football again. And yeah, I, I was I was interested to see more about him. Yeah, I, I did enjoy this episode. I thought after the first one, this is a, a really positive step and a good move. And I was... I was I, I felt really good at the end of it. Yeah, I I also really enjoyed this episode. I thought it was very action packed. Um, I really liked the sequences in um, Lily White House. I thought it was it was really quite sweet to see Mourinho just having having a bit of fun. Um, even though it definitely felt as though he was kind of enjoying being put on a pedestal, I I, I thought it was great to see him interacting with the the staff in Lily White House. And I also thought that the bit with Aurier and the the school children was was lovely as well. Um, they did squeeze a hell of a lot in um, to to uh, sort of 
a week's worth of episode. Um, do you feel in any way differently about Spurs after watching this episode? Um, I feel a little bit different towards Delhi and and Dyer. I think they're far more far more as as it's probably going to be a, a, an, our narrative that they, they're far more than just just footballers, and there are so many things going on in their minds and, and in their personal lives that um, that have a knock on effect with a footballer. I think Nathan said many times before you could have like the perfect transfer, but then things just go wrong on a personal level. So it's nice to be always reminded that these guys are just are just kids, and things can happen off the pitch, which which really has a massive effect on the pitch. I totally agree. How about you, Nathan? I guess things are quite a bit more communal than you might have thought. You might have thought that, like, you know, Levy's offices are sort of, like, out round the back and you have to get, like, written permission in advance to be allowed to be in the same room as him at the same time and all that kind of stuff. And really it's just, like, a bunch of people in the canteen hanging out and all that kind of stuff. And, and that, uh, I guess that's, like, it's a tiny bit sort of more small time. Not that that's something that I'm concerned about at all. Uh, but it's mainly a positive. It's mainly a, that's it's, it's nice to see that. It's good to see that. So I guess it's also kind of a little bit weird. It's a little bit surprising. Am I am I alone in that, or is that? No, no, no. Absolutely. I mean, Levy is very much there in amongst it. Very accessible. Very approachable for for the players. That's that's clear. Um, which I was I was surprised at as much as you. Yeah, absolutely. So that brings us to the end of episode two. Um, and you can join us for episode three if you're enjoying this. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindmer for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud, The Lindmer. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. 